Just give me a moment so I get my tablet together the right way around. There we go. Thanks, Gregor. Good morning, everyone, again. It is wonderful to have you. For those who missed us in the beginning, it's great to be here. And I look forward to continuing our journey into the Psalms that we've been uh, going through over the last couple of weeks. The Psalms, they're, they're a, different, a different part of Scripture. They're, they're not like most of the other parts of Scripture. It's not like the letters of Paul, where Paul directs us and he guides us with instructions and theology about who God is and who we are and how we're supposed to interact with God. You know, they're, they're not like the history books of the Bible where we get to, to read and, and understand what happened to the people of God throughout the ages and, and how they lived and what God was doing with them. They're, they're not prophetic or apocalyptic literature that, that looks forward to the end of times where Jesus is going to come again and, and reset the whole world and, and bring us to be with him. They're not really even the straightforward wisdom literature that we're used to in the books of Proverbs where we get instructions about how to live and, and how, go, how to go about our lives. The, the book of Psalms fills a unique place in, in, the play, in, the, um, in Scripture itself. and It forms a place for theological reflection. It's the one place in Scripture that we can go and find a bit of a foil for our emotions. The place where we can share in the wrestle of faith with those who have kind of gone before us. And it's where that, that wrestle of faith, that, that challenge of living a life of faith is not interrogated theologically in terms of what is right and what is wrong, but it's interrogated emotionally. The Psalms are they're raw and they're honest, they're, they're poignant and they're interactive. They're not about the intellectual instruction of our minds, but rather they're about opening the pathway of our hearts and helping our hearts work through the faith that we live and this is why when times are difficult and when we're really struggling, it's most commonly the book of Psalms that we turn to for comfort. It's the place where God has given us to find solace and guidance. And, and so far on this journey, we've looked at three different Psalms. John started in Psalm chapter 1, and uh, there was this call to recalibrate our lives according to the Word. And then Shelley picked up Psalms 42 and 43. I was thinking about doing those as well, but Shelley got there first, which is great. And it's, they're really about the solace and the rest that we can find in God in times of hardship and how we restore and refresh ourselves in Him. Last week, John looked at Psalm 51, which is David's prayer of repentance after he has sinned and committed adultery with Bathsheba. This morning, we're going to look at another wonderful psalm, Psalm 73. And this psalm is about the temptation to quit. It's about the temptation to throw in the towel. Do you remember Paul in the New Testament? He says, guys, I want you to run the race with endurance. And just like me, I want you to finish the, faith, finish the race, complete the faith. So what do we do in the process of our lives? We're, we're, we're kind of trying to run the race with endurance, but we feel like we actually right now we want to just stop and throw in the towel because it's really hard. What do we do when that happens? I know many of you know what that feels like. Some of you have felt that yourself. I know if I just think back on my journey of faith, which hasn't really been that long. It's been just over a decade and a bit. And I think of the number of people that came to faith with me at that time. And I look back and I say, how many of them are still running? How many of them are still in the race? And I think if I'm lucky, there's 50% there's of us that have, that have made it this far. The guys are thrown in the towel. And, and they've just got to that point where, you know what, Jesus is just not really their thing anymore. And it's a struggle that, that many of us are facing. It's a struggle that many of us have faced. And it's a struggle that I think almost all of us will face at some point in our lives. 
And Psalm 73 is Asaph's journey with the struggle of discouragements. And, and he doesn't answer every, every problem that we're going to face. Um, but through this, this psalm, he wrestles with his emotions, the emotions that are in his heart as he thinks about quitting, as he thinks about throwing in the towel. And I think as we go through Psalm 73, we're going to find some guidance for us as we begin to navigate some of those own emotions in our hearts. So, so let's jump in and, uh, and spend some time in, in Psalm 73. And we start in the first three verses of the psalm. And Elaine, you can put that up there, right? And this is, this is uh, Asaph's kind of framework that he creates right at the beginning of the psalm in which he's going to operate for the rest of the psalm. And he says this, he says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I, I had almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud because I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. Right? And this is the framework he creates. He starts in verse 1. He says, God, this is what we all know to be true, that I know that God is good. I know that God is good. I've been a Christian a long time. I've been a part of the people for, of God for a long time. We sang it this morning, God is good. Right? But I immediately, it, it gets contrasted with verse 2. But, but as for me, even knowing that, even knowing that God is good, I've, I've felt like I wanted to check out. And I felt like I wanted to throw in the towel. And for him, this is the reason in verse, in verse 3, he says, because I saw those who were wicked and I saw those who were proud and I envied what they had. It's a couple of things that I want us to notice just in this opening framework as we, as we jump in. Right? And it's, I want us to notice the knowledge of God's goodness, the knowledge that, that Asaph has, the knowledge that I think we all have as we're sitting here. People have told you that God is good, and you've discovered that for yourself, most of us, many of us, hopefully. Right? That knowledge is challenged by the reality of the situation that Asaph finds himself in. Right? And, and this is going to get spelled out as we go through the rest of the psalm, but it's implied right here in the front by the word envy. Right? It says, I envy those who are wicked. It says, I saw what they had and what I didn't. I saw that there was something missing in my life that they had, right? And something wasn't great. Something wasn't going well. And I think this epitomizes for us what's really a universal struggle. It's when things aren't going well that we begin to ask questions. And we begin to feel the weight of those questions. Because we all go through times of real hurt, of real heartache, of real genuine suffering. Where life is genuinely difficult and challenging. And it's in those spaces that, that our hearts have to ask this question, is our faith strong enough to overcome the doubt that we're experiencing at the moment? That's what we need to go through, and that's what Asaph journeys through in the psalm. Secondly, I want us to notice right up front, I want us to notice the seriousness of the situation that he's speaking about. He says that we have this temptation to think that, you know what, if I just, if I just fall away like a little bit, it's, it's not really going to be all that bad. Right? And he, he says this here, and he uses these th three phrases. He said, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. I don't know if any of you have ever tried to climb up a particularly slippery slope. Right? It's, it's a very difficult thing to do. Um, if you remember, if, if you're a bit dated like me, and you remember watching Gladiators, um, right? and they had to run up that uh, hill where the treadmill was going the opposite direction. Right? People failed a lot of the time. If you've ever tried to climb up a smooth rock that's got uh, slippery moss on it, anyone ever tried? I've definitely tried to do that. It didn't go very well. Right? This is what he's trying to say. Is that once you start on the slippery slope, it's so easy to fall, it's almost actually impossible to climb back out. And we'll see as we dig a bit more into the psalm, you'll see how he begins to describe that. Right? 
But we need to know that slipping away from our faith is not a light thing. It's not a momentary thing. It's a thing that can, that can have real serious and eternal consequences. It's a deeply dangerous thing. And so he begins to share that right up front. And, and finally, I just want to say there's, there's a limit to, to what Asaph's going to be able to tackle and deal with in this one particular psalm. Because for him, the, the thing that really caused him to ask questions was when he looked at those who were wicked, when he looked at those, what well, we would say, when he looked at non-Christians. And he saw how well they were doing. And he saw the prosperity that they were going through. That was the thing that caused him to, to ask questions of God and to doubt God. But that's not the only thing that causes us to ask questions. That's not the only reason that we encounter emotional challenge and doubts with God, right? There are many other things that can happen even as you look at your Christian brothers and sisters and you think, man, how have they got it all right and I don't? It can happen for so many different reasons that can be all equally valid. And unfortunately, we're not, we can't cover all of them as we go through the psalm. We're going to co- cover some of them. We're going to cover what Asaph journeys through. But I think there's some principles that he lays down for us in this process that help us to, to work this through in our hearts. Right, so so that's, just to, that's just to kind of set it up. That's the framework that Asaph creates for us. And, and then in this next section, what he begins to do is he begins to unpack and explain the things that were, that were happening that really began to trouble his heart. So let's have a look at them together from verse 4. He says this, the wicked, they seem to, to live such painless lives. Their, their bodies are, are healthy and strong. They don't seem to have troubles like other people, and they're not plagued with problems like everyone else. In fact, they wear pride like a jeweled necklace, and they clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything that their hearts could ever wish for. Right? This is the NLT translation. I think it's really helpful. It gives us the heart of what's going on. Right? Yeah, you won't find fat cats in the New King James. All right. They scoff and they speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others and they boast against the very heavens. And their words strut throughout the earth. And and so the people are just made and confused. And they begin to drink in all of their words. What does God know? They ask, does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. This section that, that we just read through, this is a little bit of, of Asaph. It's like Asaph's journal, where he's just written down the things. He said, God, these are the things that are really troubling me. These are the things that are breaking my heart. These are the things that I just don't understand, and I can't reconcile them with your character. And for him, it comes down to this. It comes down to this idea that there are people that don't follow God, and yet their life seems to be devoid of the trouble and the problems that he experiences, and it seems like the people of God are experiencing. And to him, it, it just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. God shouldn't be working like that. It's like he's saying, here I am, Lord. Here I am. I'm following you. I'm following you, and I'm doing all the things that you've called me to do, and what do I have to show for it? What do I have? I've got nothing. I've got nothing. It feels like my life is falling apart, and this is going, and that's gone, and this is broken, and yet I look over there, and I look at that guy, and I know I know what he's doing. I know that he's cheating. I know that he's cheating on his wife. I know that he's stealing from his business. I know what a terrible person he is. And yet, and yet he seems to be doing so well. What's up with that, God? What's up with that? Where's the justice in that? I thought you were a just God. I thought you cared. I thought you were going to provide for me, that you would come through for me. And that's how it's going to be. Is it all, is it actually worth it? Is it really worth it? Follow you. Should I just throw in the towel? Should I give up? 
Those are, the, those are the emotions, those are the thoughts going through his heart, going through his mind. Some of us have had those same thoughts. Some of us may have those thoughts in the future. Right? And again, when things are going okay, it's not really that bad. Everything's kind of fine. But it's when things begin to go a little bit downhill and we start to feel, it feels like one thing begins to pile on top of the next thing until we're just not sure that we can hold it together anymore. And then, and then in that moment and in that place, envy, right? envy that, that's cloaked as, as justice and that's cloaked as, as righteous indignation begins to grow in our hearts. And, and this is something we've got to be really careful of right? because we, we can easily sit and feel like it's unjust and that we are right to be upset about the injustice of what's going on. But really what's happening in our heart is that we're looking at what someone else has and we're thinking, man, it just doesn't seem, I should have that. Why should they have that? So one other thing I just want to comment on here before we continue on. And it's this, this, this. In, in this section of the psalm, what we're dealing with is, is Asaph's perception. It's about the things that he sees and the things that he understands in the world. Right? And, and this, is, this is poetry. This Psalms is poetic writing. What we're reading here, this may not be empirically true. It may not be true that all evil people never have problems and troubles. In fact, I think that would be untrue. And I don't think that's what he's saying. But it's, it's, his, it's his perspective. It's what he's seeing. And it's a classic example of what, you know, the grass is greener over there. That's what he's saying. Surely um, there, there are ways. In fact, I know and you know that there are ways in which people struggle. I remember numerous times in my life, and, and this is something God is, is working through with me, but sometimes you'll meet someone, and, and this person will just seem all, all like really together, and he's dressed real smart, and he looks real good, and uh, you, know, you feel like people would just take photos of him and like put them up on a wall, you know, and that's the kind of person that he is. And you think, well, you, know, you and I are probably not really going to be friends. We kind of interact in a different social class, and you know, that's all right. Um, and, then, and then over time, I've been able to being able to reassess some of those things as I've got to know the person a little bit better and, and realize actually they don't have it all together and their life isn't perfect and actually there's a whole bunch of baggage and stuff that they're carrying that they wish they could have dealt with but they, but they haven't. But, but I looked at them and assumed that everything's better with them. Right? And I think that's something of what Asaph's going through here but the reality of the situation, whether or not the, the, those who are not Christians have a much better life than us is not really the issue. The issue is how we feel when we feel that and when we perceive that. And it causes us to ask these questions and wrestle with these emotions. But Asaph continues to kind of explore what's going on in his heart. And so he says this. He says, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I, did I keep myself innocent for no reason, God? I mean, I get into trouble all day long. I get nothing but trouble, and every morning brings me pain. And you know, God, if I had spoken this way to others, I feel like I would have been a traitor to your people. And so I, I, try, to, I try to understand just for myself how the wicked prosper. But man, that was a really difficult, difficult task. And this, this section here, this is the climax of Asaph's heartache, where he begins to really lay it out there. Because he has found, and I'm sure that you have found, that sometimes serving God can be hard. There's a, there's a real joy that comes from serving God and following God, and that's very true. But sometimes it's hard. Because, you know, serving God means not living for yourself. 
It means making decisions that are about putting him first, not yourself. It means making decisions about putting your brothers and sisters first, about putting others ahead of yourself. It means living selflessly and sacrificially for the kingdom. And, and sure, sometimes that brings joy, but sometimes in the moment, that's, that's real hard. Anyone else know what that feels like? Right? Do you remember in, in Hebrews chapter 11, in the hall of faith, right, the, the great Christian men and women of faith as they've journeyed through, and the writer to the Hebrews gets to the end of the hall, and he says, all of these people, all of them served God faithfully, and yet they did not yet receive the reward that he had waiting for them. They had to wait. They had to wait because Christ was still coming and the kingdom was still coming. And sometimes serving God is a real joy, but sometimes there's a delay in the receiving of that joy and the fullness and the experiential fullness of what it means to serve God. And sometimes it's real hard. And this is, this is Asa's wrestle. and we, we can experience the same wrestle. And then in the midst of this wrestle, I want us to notice what's happening in verses 15 and 16. I think it's quite, it's quite helpful and important for us. Right. What he's trying to say is, he says, if I had to speak of the doubts that I had had to others, I feel like I would have betrayed the community of faith that we had, and I might have led others astray. If you look in, in the Hebrew, he's, really, he's, he's concerned about the generations that are behind him. And he said, I'm concerned that as a leader, if I had to share with others the doubts that I'm experiencing, I'm concerned that they would have lost faith in God as well. And so because I didn't want to do that, I kept them all to myself. I decided to bottle it up. And, and that was really, really difficult. And so I think it, even in reading Psalm 73, we recognize that there was a moment where Asaph came that he, he broke that silence because he wrote it down and he gave it to the community to, to work through, to sing. But this is not an unusual experience and an unusual thing for us to do as Christians. We don't like telling other people about our worries and our anxieties and our real deep doubts and insecurities. We don't like doing it. We like to try and work it out on our own. I can't tell you the number of times I've been in a counseling time with someone, a freedom prayer time with someone, and we're working through, and you just recognize there's something else under the surface that we haven't got to yet. And so you probe a bit more, and you probe a bit more, and you probe a bit more, and eventually you ask the question, Look, like, let's just be frank, how do you really feel about God? And, and if, they're, if they're brave, they'll say, you know what, right now, I don't trust him. I don't believe that he's good. Actually, I think he's quite, quite hateful. Because sometimes we can feel that way. And we have to be honest with those feelings and those emotions. And we don't share them. It becomes so much more difficult, so much more difficult to process them and deal with them. Let's, let's carry on to verse... Verse 17, this is the turning point of the whole psalm. The whole psalm begins to turn at this moment, and he says, Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path, and you send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. And in an instant, they're destroyed, and they're swept away by terrors. Like a dream, when one awakens, upon arising, O God, you despise their form. And for Asaph, as he, as he begins to contemplate the fate of the wicked, the ultimate fate of the wicked, this is, this is the moment where God begins to restore some peace and some balance into his heart. Right, and there's, there's two things I want us to recognize here. And again, this is, this is the answer that Asaph finds. There are others that we need to find as well. 
Now, this is an important one for us. We need to remember that our faith only makes sense in an eternal context. It only makes sense in an eternal context. And if you try and make sense of your faith outside of an eternal context, it will not make sense. And there will be moments where you go, God, where is the justice here? What are you doing? I don't understand. Why were you not at work? It's not always good and fair. The good guys don't always win, and the bad guys don't always get dealt with. But God has designed life in such a way that there is an eternal balancing that comes into play at the end of life. And there will be justice one day. Righteousness will prevail one day. And we need to remember that. Sometimes we need to, in the moment and in the midst of our heartache and our wrestle and our pain, we need to try real hard to take a step back from the immediacy of that situation. And God, I, I know how difficult that is. Because our emotions don't like to be disengaged with. And, and, and we, need to, we need to work through that. It can be really, really difficult. But we need to recognize that we didn't choose to follow Jesus for what we could get out of him. We didn't choose to follow Jesus because we believe in the prosperity gospel and we just want to be hashtag blessed and we want to have the house and the car and everything that Jesus promised, right? Because he never promised that. We follow Jesus because he's worthy of being followed. We follow Jesus because he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We follow Jesus because we recognize that he rules and he reigns. That's why we follow him. And we know that he does reward those who earnestly seek him. But sometimes we have to wait for those rewards to come. I'm not saying there isn't joy in this life. I'm not saying following Jesus is a slog all the time. Because there is a joy and there's a contentment that we're able to have in all situations. And a fullness of joy that we're able to have that transcends our situation. But sometimes the rewards only come at the end. And we get to enjoy them forever, which is amazing. Second thing I want us to notice here in this, in this moment, this epiphany that Asaph has, is I want you to catch where it happens. I want you to catch where this happens. See, for most of us, when we wrestle with doubt, and we wrestle with heartache, and we wrestle with, with like not feeling the connection to God anymore and wondering if it's all really worth it, what happens is we kind of pull away. And we begin to isolate ourselves. And we don't really want... To, to connect, I, and this happens to us all the time. We have the, the pastoral version of the cold calling marketing, right? And uh, that's where we, we, someone hasn't been around for a while, and so we, we feel like it's important that we just follow up. And sometimes that's great because you have a relationship with someone and it, and it goes real well. Sometimes it's really difficult. Hi, this is Brad. You haven't met me before, but I know you've been a part of us. We just haven't seen you around for the last one. We just want to check in if everything's okay. All right? Those are not my favorite phone calls. But the reality is, often what happens in those moments is someone has pulled away, not just because life got busy, but because somewhere behind that there's been a disillusionment with what's been going on with God and their connection to God. And so we've chosen to begin to isolate ourselves and to pull away. Asaph does exactly the opposite. For Asaph, he says, I went into your sanctuary. I went into the place where God's people gather. I went to the temple. I went to the place where the presence of God manifestly dwells. And it's in that place that God brought my heart to understanding. It's in that place that I found understanding. And this is how God has designed us to operate. This is why we're a body. This is why we're a family of brothers and sisters in the Lord. Right? So that we can walk with one another in these things. 
so that we don't isolate ourselves. So when someone comes up to you and says, you know what, man, I've really just been battling, and I just, you know, this thing has happened in my life, and I'm just struggling to believe that God is good. That as a brother and sister, we're going to be like, man, I'm going to phone John right away. You need to have a serious pastoral discussion. We're going to discipline you all the way out of this church. That's not what we do. It's not what we do in a family because we love you. We say, you know what? I know how you're feeling. I've actually I've been there myself. I've journeyed that road. It's hard. And I'm going I'm to walk alongside you. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to allow you to feel these emotions and to work through them and trust that God is going to come and be at work in your life. That's what we do as a family. That's why Asa says it's in the sanctuary. It's in the place where I was loved. It's in the place where God's people gather together. It's where, that's where God wants us to process these challenges. Don't hide away from them. Share them with someone. Let someone else in. This is, this is the kind of primary breakthrough moment that Asaph has in the psalm. And, but there's two more really significant revelations that he follows this up with. And I want us to catch them as well. So let's, let's read on into verse 21. He says this, Then I realized that my heart was bitter. And I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant that, that God to you, I must have seemed like a senseless animal just wandering around, not really knowing what I was doing. And he does something really significant and, and records it for us in these verses. He says, you know, in the midst of the rest, my wrestle of faith, I was able to take a step back and I was able to gain a little bit of perspective. And I was able to see that the thing that I was wrestling with, I wasn't right in. It wasn't that God was wrong. It wasn't that God had moved away. He wasn't the problem. But actually the problem had, had been with me. And my heart had grown in bitterness and in jealousy, and in envy. And those things had taken the place of godly contentment. And, and doubt and insecurity and faithlessness had replaced trust and faith in God. And knowing that, you know what, even though it doesn't make sense right now, I know that my God is good. I know it. And so I know that He will come through. And I know that at the end it will be worth it. And I know that I can trust Him. And I've learned what it means, just like Paul said, to be content in each and every situation. I know what it is to be content with much. And I know what it is to be content even when I'm being stoned. And so what Asaph's able to recognize is that his heart has actually, his heart has actually changed. And sometimes that's, that's really difficult for us to recognize. And a, a couple of months ago, about three months ago, I went through a, a real trauma in my own life that was unlike anything I've ever gone through before. It was the most significant thing that I've ever journeyed through, and it was very, very difficult. Some of you will know what that's like. Many of you will know what that's like. Right? For a long time, I didn't. And in that space, God was a rock for me, and I, and I worked through things. But I began to feel things in my heart that, that seemed like good and justified emotions, that seemed like a good and godly response to what I'd been experiencing. And it, it took a time at the Immerse Conference where I was just amongst a bunch of other people that loved Jesus. It was often in the worship time where we would be worshiping together, and God would just begin to speak into my heart little by little, and he pulled back the veil. And he allowed me to see that what I thought were good and godly emotions in my heart were actually camouflaging what was really sin. And it had come, and I was stealing the joy, and I was stealing the hope, and I was stealing what God was wanting for me in that, in that space, to find a contentment in him in the midst of real heartache. We need to watch that in ourselves. We need to allow God to peel, peel into our heart. Just like David prayed, and he said, God, search me and know me. And tell me, God, if there's anything in me that, that is offensive to you, 
We need to create that space where we're allowing God to come in and just look at our hearts. Say, God, just help me. Show me if I'm carrying something that's not of you. Let's get to his, his third and his final revelation before he brings this to a conclusion. And this is a little bit of what Shirley read earlier. He says, yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You, you guide me with your counsel and you lead me into a glorious destiny. And this thing is, is so much more special because it comes for Asaph as a revelation in the midst of this deep faith struggle. In this deep wrestle of, God, what is really going on? He's saying, even though I doubted, God, even though I was bitter and I was envious, even though I was ignorant, even though my foot almost slipped, even though I almost ran away, even though I almost threw in the towel, even though I almost gave up, yet I still belong to you. I still belong to you and you're holding on to me and you're leading me out of darkness and you're leading me into an eternal, glorious destiny. Friends, God doesn't give up on us. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. Because that's who he is. That's who he is. There's this incredible promise that Paul records for Timothy. And he says this. He says, Timothy, I want you to know that even if we are unfaithful, God remains faithful because he cannot deny who he is. Even if we are unfaithful, God remains faithful because he cannot deny who he is. He cannot be anything other than a faithful God. And I want to say to you this morning, no matter what you are wrestling with, no matter how close your foot might be to the edge of that slope, even if you are on that slope and you're trying desperately to claw your way back up, God doesn't leave you. He doesn't abandon you because that's who he is. Okay, we're going to bring this to a close. I'm going to read the last, the last two slides, the last section, and I'm going to ask Shirley and the team to just come up on stage and lead us in a closing song after that. But he finishes like this, and he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. God, my health may fail, may, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my shelter. And I will tell everyone about the wonderful things that you do. I want you to notice, as he brings the psalm to an end, I want you to notice that, that his heart, at this point in the psalm, has now been reconciled to what his head knew at the beginning. Remember when he said in verse 1, truly, God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. He knew that God loved him, but now his heart has found that. As for me, it's good to be near God. I've made the Lord my shelter. Through the struggle, what's happened is that he's encountered God. And that's what we need, friends. That's what we need. When we're in the struggles, we need to encounter God. There are no wise words that someone can share with you. But the Spirit of God can meet you. And He can speak life into your heart. And God ministers to His heart. And He begins to heal His wounds. And He begins to placate His troubles. And even though His circumstances haven't changed, we've got no evidence that suddenly everything else was fixed. But suddenly He knows the truth about God in His heart. And His heart has changed. And then I, for any of us who are, who are struggling and, and just wrestling this morning, right? we're in the midst of the same heartache and struggle for whatever reason, whatever reason we might be wrestling and battling, I really believe God wants to encounter you this morning. Don't walk away from the sanctuary without allowing God the opportunity to come and speak into your heart.
to help you feel in your heart what you've always known in your head, but you're just battling to believe right now. To, to take your foot away from the edge of the cliff. To strengthen you to run the rest of the race. And most of all, to reassure you with his presence. And to speak the love that he has for you over you. We're going to close in prayer now. So Shirley and the team, you guys can come up and join me on the stage. We're going to sing a song after I've closed in prayer. And uh, if you would like someone to journey with you in this thing, I really want to encourage you, ask someone to pray with you. Maybe it's someone you came with, someone you know and trust that can walk with you. If you want one of us um, as leaders or elders in the church to pray with you, Mark and myself will be available. There's some other elders here. They'll stick around. We'd love to pray with you as well.